Thank you for joining us for COSAM Talks, Episode 1. Our guest this month is Dennis Bodowitz, Professor of Physics in the College of Sciences and Mathematics. So we have you here today because we wanted you to tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your education, and how you ended up at Auburn University. Wow, yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's only 10 years. <laughs> or more. Or more, yes. <laughs> I studied physics and astronomy in the Netherlands in a town called Groningen, which is in the northeast of the Netherlands. Uh, I, I, I could never decide whether I wanted to study physics or astronomy, so I studied both. Uh, I like physics because it's, it's hands-on. You get to work with, with experiments. Um, you, get to, you get to loosen bolts, look at wires. In, in astronomy, I always like the questions more and, and, and looking at the sky. So, What, what my work now is is a uh, I, I do laboratory work that is applicable to, to astronomy, or I do, and the other way around, I, I try to use space as a laboratory. Now, did you ever think as a child growing up in the Netherlands, did you ever think that you were going to be, you know, have an asteroid name after you and be a common expert? I mean, it's just such an incredible path. It was super exciting. I, um, during my work at, no, as a PhD student, I, I, I got to work indirectly with some space missions, and then I realized, like, wow, this is what I really want to do. And, and, and um, I applied for a NASA uh, postdoc fellowship, and I got it, and I was so proud. <laughs> and then that led you to Auburn University. What, what was one of the reasons that you really wanted to come here and join our physics department? I really wanted to have the, the opportunity to work with students. So, so as a research scientist, that was, that was not really possible, uh, only, only on a small scale. But working with grad students, working with teaching with undergrads, and now you're teaching your first class. So how does that feel? <laughs> it feels pretty good. It's a it's 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 a tough class. Applications of quantum mechanics, but I think it's very interesting because uh, few people realize that quantum physics is everywhere. It's not just some weird formulas in a book. Uh, there would be no computers, no lasers, um, and and now quantum computing is of course a really big big thing. Now, recently, we were able to work with you on an impressive project. You were able to get a lot of coverage about the 10th brightest comet coming by and doing a pass by Earth. Could you tell us a little bit about the comet? So, so this comet is named Wurtanen, and we knew it was coming, um, of course, as astronomers. And we, we, we knew that we, this would be a unique opportunity. The comet would be very bright and nearby, and that makes for a really good combination to study it. So we really tried to get observing time on every possible telescope that, that we could. Now tell us what that's like. Some of us have no idea. What is it like to really have access on the Hubble telescope? It's something that you see, you know, it's something you see on the news, but you actually had two full days where you were actually using the Hubble telescope for your research. Yeah, so 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 using Hubble is, is special for every astronomer. Hubble has been out in space for so long, everybody knows its images, and, and to get to use it for your research is, is, is really amazing. It's, it's very hard to get time on Hubble. Uh, every telescope only has so many hours in the day, like everybody else. And so you need, you need to write a proposal and argue why you should, should get time on Hubble to do your science. And that is then reviewed. And this time there was only a 10% chance of actually getting the time. So it was a big, big gamble, but we got it. And um, here we are. And now not only were you on the Hubble telescope, but you were on other telescopes all around the world. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so, so what we know is that, that, that comets are, are, are complex environments. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of physical reactions, chemical reactions, and you can't study all of those with just one telescope. So you need to combine multiple telescopes. However, that's easier said than done. Each of those is hard to get time on, and then actually coordinating that they'll all be observing at the same time is also very hard. Um, so I had a very busy month. 
Now, the research you're gathering is both data and images. Can you explain to us a little bit about how these data and images you were able to capture on these telescopes and how you'll be able to use them over the next few years? Yeah, so for us, uh, data and images are the same thing. <laughs> we, we, um, there, there are specific tricks that we use. So, so uh, light is, of course, uh, that, that it has different colors. We call them wavelengths. And every wavelength, every color has specific information. Some may, you, you can see different molecules, different gases. And so when we set up Hubble, we have a lot of choices for different filters that we can use. So we, we pick out specific colors that we're interested in, and we take the images in those. Um, and now what we're going to do uh, in, um, moving forward is to, to, first of all, analyze those data, see what worked. It was a very hard comet to observe because it was moving very fast. So not everything was successful. Some of the images have failed, so we need to be very, evaluate this very carefully. And then um, what we, we'll do is try to combine them, uh, see how the comet behaved different in, in different gases, where the gases were, and how it, how it changed over time. Oh, wow. So then you really kind of evaluate it, and then you take your research to that next step, and then you look at it. And then once you get to that step, can you tell us a little bit about how the data from this comet is going to impact information about other comets? So, so what is so exciting about this comet is, is its timing. We just had a really big mission to a, a comet. The, co the mission was called Rosetta, and it went to, to this comet, uh, 67P, Churyumov Gerasimenko. Uh, this, is, this is a strange object. It's, it's a couple of miles across, uh, and you can see that it's, it seems to exist from two different parts. Um, we re often refer to this as a duck, and this would be the head of the duck and the body of the duck. And what is nice about it is that it highlights comet questions really well. Uh, because the first question, if you see it, is like, was it formed this way or did it evolve this way through erosion? Um, we think it was the first. It was, it was formed as two small snowballs that stuck together. Uh, Rosetta did a lot of measurements, both of the gases around it and, and how this comet changed as it moved around the sun. And uh, our observations that we now did are the first big campaign since that, since that mission. And we really want to put them in that, in that context and compare... These, these remote observations to that, that comment. Can you tell us a little bit about how snowballs could be, you know, out in the um, out in the solar system for millions of years, and then they somehow, you know, become comets? Could you tell us a little bit about that transition? Um, it's it, that is actually a big question in our own research. So, so, so the absolute answer is, is is what we're after. So, what happened is that when the solar system was formed, all these little snowballs they they, they, they stuck together, and some formed planets or the giant planets. Um, other ones impacted on Earth and may have brought water here, for example. But um, due to the dynamics in the solar system, uh, they were ejected far away, actually halfway to the next star. And they've been there for all those billions of years. Um, they're still being irradiated by, by, by radiation in space, but they were not heated much as everything else closer to the sun. So when these, these objects by accident uh, are, are moved towards the sun, they become comets as we know them. They, they become active. They get a large tail, and we get to see them. Now, you've been quoted in several publications saying that this is a space mission in reverse. Could you tell us a little bit about what that means? Well, that, that is, of course, because I was involved in Rosetta, so I love, I love space missions. That's my, but, but, but yeah, this, this comet is so close uh, that we could study the, 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 the regions very close to the nucleus. We, it was, uh, we could even see the nucleus with Arecibo, the big telescope in Puerto Rico. Uh, and, and, and so we have an idea about its size, about its shape. Uh, and, and we could study the region where Rosetta orbited 67P, and this region is normally not accessible. So for me, it was really like doing Rosetta for the second time, but then from the ground. 
So now, if you're someone who definitely hasn't seen uh, a comet on the inside, what can you tell her? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to look inside a comet for the first time? People might think that it's just a rock from the outside, so it would just be, you know, a rock landform. Or if there's gases, it might not have any color. What's it like when you first take that first peek? It must be amazing to walk on a comet. And, but, but so, 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 my first space mission was deep impact to uh, Comet Hartley Two. And you have no idea what the object looks like, and, and it, it only the very few last moments before you get to the comet, you get to see what its shape is, and, and so it's a really big surprise. And all of them are very similar. Sorry, all of them are very different. Um, just because there's erosion that happens, they, it's it's it's, a, it's an object of ice and rock that that is eroded by sunlight. So you get all these bizarre landscapes and. Uh, it's it's like an enormous national park, and I would love to walk through it. So inside a comet, it, it's nothing like the outside. When you look inside, you kind of see all these different terrains and all these different colors, and it's something that people probably have never, ever even thought of. And this is something that you were really able to do, you know, with telescopes throughout the world. Well, with the space mission, we were able to see the nucleus. Normally, you can't see a nucleus because it's, it's surrounded by, um, well, first of all, it's too small, and second, it's surrounded by a cloud of gas and dust. So you really still need a real space mission to, to, to see to the surface inside. and study it and do the comet geology. Um, but we did it a lot for, for Comet 67P, and all those images uh, that we brought back are available on the Internet, and people can go to NASA's website and look at them. Wonderful. Now, you were able to get a lot of coverage from being in Forbes.com to being on Space.com. How did it feel to really be known as a comet expert and to have publications from around the world really coming to you to find out more about this, you know, 10th brightest comet in history? So, of course, we scientists are always very passionate about our own research, but it's, it's, it, it feels very special when other people get interested in your research and really want to know, hey, what is it that you're doing, and, and explain it to me. So, so it's, it's, it's really nice to have a moment in the sun like that. And then I just wanted to ask you a little bit about the next steps. Over the next two years, you're going to be, you know, analyzing this data. You're going to really be looking at it. Personally, do you have anything that you're hoping to find out? Or are you, do you have any goals with personal research that you really think you might be able to answer some questions or you might be able to find new questions? Um, so, 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 so the first short-term step is to analyze those data, and that, that sounds easier than it is. These are already three big science teams. Every, every space telescope has a team of, of, of people that work on the data and are experts on this, and, and of course it has to come together at, at, at some point. Um, coordinating that is taking a lot of my, my time at the moment. Um, in the long term, I'm, I'm trying to see what, what we can do about other comets now we know this. And for example, one of the things that I'm very interested in is that they're, they're, what reactions change the gas around the, the, the comet, and a lot of the research on this project was focused on that. What happens so near the nucleus? How is the gas that we can see different from the gas that comes off the nucleus? And that is also going to mean going back to the lab, and that's one of the things that we do here at Auburn. Uh, we, we study reactions with the gas and, and the solar wind, and I have an ongoing project where I study electrons colliding with the gas. So, so these observations really define what experiments we need to do in order to make the next step. Now, is there anything else you want to add? We can talk about the Caesar mission. Oh, absolutely. Could you tell us a little bit about the Caesar mission? So, so having been at 67P, what scientists really want to do is have a piece of comet uh, and, and analyze it in the lab. Of course, a space mission is great, but you're, you're somewhat limited in, in the instruments that you can operate in space or, or launch from Earth. Whereas if you, if you have a lab on Earth, you can have state-of-the-art, enormous machinery and, and look at much more detail at the chemical composition of your, of your comet. So um, NASA just accepted a proposal to fly back to Comet 67B 
and we would bring back up to a kilogram of material. Uh, this mission is called Caesar, um, and by 3040, if I'm correct, we'd have this, this kil- kilogram of material in the labs worldwide. Wow. So this is, you know, a mission that would really expand upon what you just did. You would actually now have the physical, um, you know, ability to analyze the physical properties in addition to what you've already done. Right. We had, we had Rosetta orbiting Comet 67P and, and really studying it and, and, and doing the ge- geology. But now bringing back a piece of Comet would allow us to investigate the chemistry and again, connecting it to both the formation of the solar system, but also life and water on Earth. So how exactly would you be able to get a piece of this Comet and bring it back to Earth successfully? Yeah, that was a hard question, and there were three teams that, 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 that tried to come up with a solution and competed for us. Um, what we're doing is sort of a, a, a vacuum cleaner in, in, in reverse, uh, a big circular piece that we would, would put on the comet surface and then blow nitrogen air to stir up uh, comet gravel that would then be collected in a sample container. Oh, wow, and then it would safely come all the way back through Earth, and you would actually be able to analyze it here and be able to find out more about its properties. That's right. It would, it would come down in a capsule, and we'd pick it up in Utah, with a parachute, right? <laughs> With a parachute, yes, please. <laughs> what about if a student out there, whether they're in high school or college, and, you know, they love astronomy, they love physics, what would be your advice to tell them if they want to pursue a career like you? What would they, you know, really want to do? We, we really hope that, stu- that this helps getting students interested in, in, in science. It worked for me. I, I, I love space missions. I love reading anything about space. Um, we're hoping we're getting a new building, and it's going to have a, a lot of telescopes on the roof. We're hoping to be able to use that to, to let people watch the sky with their own eyes, because that's that's hard to beat. Um, advice is that do do take science classes, um, read magazines. There, there there are a lot of good magazines about about science, uh, blog posts. NASA does a lot of outreach material, and they have a lot of good information on their website. And don't be afraid to send us an email. We're we're very happy to talk science about. Okay, so tell me a little bit about how you're going to analyze this data, and are there any opportunities for somebody who might be a current graduate student at Auburn? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we, we have we have a, a team working on these data, and we're, we're currently doing the first evaluation. But um, I'm, I'm definitely looking for grad students to work with me on the data that we acquired with these space telescopes, and um, we have plenty of data to work on for the, for the next year. So, I think these are a couple of great projects. Oh, so that's amazing! So I can include that as part of my experience. I could really get an opportunity to not only work with you, but to be part of you know working on this research from such an amazing project. So basically, if people are interested, they would be able to contact you directly. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we thank you for your time so much, and we appreciate all of your input, and we can't wait to find out more about you, this incredible opportunity that you've had. Thank you so much.